Chapter Fifteen of The Ghost Girl by Henry Kitchell Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen A Night Ride. All he waited for was my somewhat dubious nod of assent. Already he was in my desk chair, and by unhooking the telephone receiver, he cut short the flood of questions I'd have overwhelmed him with if he'd given me the chance there's a taxi stand on the corner isn't there that'll be quicker than phoning for one do you mind getting it i answered by catching up my coat and hat while you're at the phone though said i do you mind calling my house and telling jack or gwendolen that i shan't be home tonight luckily madeline's away that's a good notion drew he spoke as though it were a particularly shrewd idea and not in the least satirically either evidently it had suggested something to him so instantaneously that he thought the suggestion itself had come from me he often did that i wondered what the idea was but he waved me away so i rushed out after the taxi and left him to arrange matters his own way when i came back with the cab i found him waiting at the curb that surprised me because i had got the idea that secrecy was to be part of the programme if anyone were on the watch it would be easy enough to see us starting off together at any rate just as geoffrey took his seat beside me another taxi came up behind rather slowly as if waiting to see what we wanted of the road before it tried to pass geoffrey glanced back at it and then called an address to our own chauffeur the address was that of my own house uptown in a moment i thought i had the idea the taxi behind meant to follow us and geoffrey had called out that address to throw them off the trail our chauffeur with a warning gesture to the car behind pulled out into the road and turned around the other taxi checking up at the curb to give us room the occupant of it was an insignificant-looking young man who gave you the impression of flashiness and shabbiness all at the same time he didn't look at us at all seeming to be looking along for a street number his taxi was still jogging along close to the curb when we turned the corner we needn't have taken so much trouble to mislead him after all said i i thought for an instant he was a detective and so evidently did you what address do you want to go to that's the right address for your house isn't it what are we going to my house for i demanded why said geoffrey i thought that was your own idea but it doesn't matter which of us thought of it he went on as i started to protest it's the right place for us to go at that the light went out of his eyes and he leaned back limply against the cushions so completely absorbed in the train of thought that was occupying him that i hadn't the heart for any more questions 
the taxi was chugging along not so very fast and i with the need for haste that geoffrey had impressed upon me strongly in mind reached for the speaking tube and was about to tell the chauffeur to speed up a little when geoffrey took it away from me and shook his head no hurry he said he's going fast enough so by the time we had pulled up at my own door i was pretty completely mystified there was another car standing there and when we got near enough i recognized it as jack's big limousine evidently he and gwendolen were going out somewhere for the door opened just as our car stopped and they came down the steps shall we want the taxi again geoffrey i asked no he said we're through with him so i turned to pay the driver geoffrey lunged out of the cab and at sight of him gwendolen and jack both exclaimed their pleasure at the meeting i got my change from the driver of the taxi and then just as i was turning away to join the group i saw another taxi round the corner it might have been fancy but i thought i recognized it for the same car that had come up behind us just as we were leaving my office we had been followed then after all the car was jogging along in no great hurry than we seemed to be in ourselves what are you people going to do with yourselves asked gwendolen as we came up why i don't know said geoffrey we've nothing in particular to do why then come along and dine with us said jack we're going down to dine at one of the restaurants you people are dressed said geoffrey and we aren't oh said gwendolen what does that matter we'll go where you won't mind the lafayette or somewhere all the while the other taxi had been drawing closer just as it came opposite us geoffrey said we'll have to run away afterwards we've an engagement for the end of the evening let's waste no time beginning it then said jack and he caught geoffrey by the arm and began pushing him toward the car all right said geoffrey i followed without a word the other taxi had gone by still rather slowly our car started off with a jump the minute the door was shut behind me evidently the chauffeur had been told what to do at the corner we turned to the right which was natural enough if one wanted to follow the avenue downtown but at the first corner we whooped around to the right again and in a minute were flying along on the high speed northward we timed that pretty well i think said gwendolen i never dressed so fast in my life and i'm sure the hooks up my back are just caught into anything but it certainly went as smoothly as if it had been rehearsed i was so afraid i wouldn't be able to say lafayette at the right time but he did hear i'm sure she turned and peered out of the little back window and he isn't following oh it worked said geoffrey like a charm even when we don't turn up at the lafayette you won't know that we haven't changed our minds and gone to some other restaurant an awfully clever idea said gwendolen 
drew thought of it said jeffrey all i thought of said i was to ask jeffrey to telephone you that i shouldn't be home tonight whenever i've tried to ask him any questions since about what all these maneuvers meant he's told me it was my own idea but i've only just got it through my head what it's all about did jeffrey also tell you i concluded where we were going and what we are trying to do and did he tell you that this was my idea too he only told us said gwendolen that you were going to burgle beech hill i don't believe any professional ever spoke of cracking a crib more casually than gwendolen did i think i've got everything you need in here she said everything you spoke of and i have put in an extra suit of clothes of cliffs and one of jack's for you it ought to fit pretty well i think and then if anything happens if your looks get damaged or anything the fresh clothes will be much more respectable bully for you jeffrey said you know you people are a pair of trumps to turn in and help us out this way we're making criminals of you too accessories before the fact that's the term isn't it drew we're going to be ever so much more accessory than you think said gwendolen we're going all the way to oldborough oh jack says it's all right she went on in answer to my movement of protest what's the sense of our getting off at the ferry and going back when we can just as well go all the way and see the fun i doubt if it turns out to be precisely a picnic said jeffrey seriously i don't see exactly how we're going to work the trick ourselves and as for taking a gallery along to cheer gallery indeed said gwendolen indignantly i don't believe you have figured it out what are you going to do with the car while you're burgling you can't go chugging right up to the driveway in it if you leave it beside the road somewhere it will attract as much attention as an elephant if you send it to the garage at oldborough just with james that'll look queer and if you appear yourselves and don't go to the hotel then you'll have to be accounted for if you send the car home without you then you'll have to take a train or the day boat and that may turn out to be awkward too you've got the difficulties down cold said jeffrey but i'm hoping that the spur of the moment will supply us with something wait till you've heard my plan said gwendolen then perhaps you'll apologize for the word gallery you can't help four people being more conspicuous than two said jeffrey with a shake of the head it needs people to account for the car gwendolen retorted jack and i can do that to-night and to-morrow morning we look pretty respectable when we turn up at the old borough hotel with a punctured tire no matter what time of night it is no one will think that there's anything queer about it and you won't have to appear at all you're right said jeffrey quickly i withdraw the word gallery and apologize in the morning of course you'll start out for town and pick us up at some lonely bend of the road perhaps said gwendolen but we thought we'd take two rooms 
on the ground floor because i'll be nervous about fire we'll only use one of them and leave the other so that if you happen to need a place to hide in or change your clothes again you'll have it we'll leave the window open a little and something oh a towel hanging out over the sill so you'll know you may not want it but it may come in handy geoffrey laughed richard says you ought to be a member of the force he observed but upon my word i believe your real talent is for crime it's pretty much the same she said rather soberly you've got to be able to think crimes either to commit them or to detect them i'd argue that point with you said geoffrey if duty didn't call me out in front that chauffeur of yours knows the town like the palm of his hand but it's a dark night and once we get out on the country roads a cat-eyed person like me who can see in the dark will be hopeful we didn't protest very strongly against his going because we had seen from his air of preoccupation that he wanted the solitude of his own thoughts rather than our talk he opened the door slipped out on the running-board and clambered to the seat beside the chauffeur his going turned loose a flood of questions and surmises what puzzled jack and me the most was the object of this night journey what purpose had geoffrey in mind that could justify this rush in the dark the risk of detection and capture in the very act of committing a crime for housebreaking was a crime even if one didn't mean to make away with the family jewels or plate whatever his object is said jack why doesn't he tell us i doubt if he could tell us any better than he has said gwendolen he's found out enough evidently to make it clear to him that the crime was committed in that house and his instinct tells him if he can get into the house and look at the actual scene he will see something that will explain the crime itself then she set me to work recounting the events of the afternoon richard's call geoffrey's arrival with the narrative of his adventures on his former visit to beech hill and finally the coming of dr crow i told the story as nearly as i could in his own words and as i told it the conviction his narrative had carried with it came back to me i declare i concluded i don't see what more there is to explain geoffrey was saying just before crow came in that no case was complete as long as it contained a single contradictory circumstance but i am blessed if i see any contradiction in that because crow's story fits in absolutely with richard's present theory of the case with mrs barton's confession and what geoffrey himself heard in his stateroom on the night boat what was it that mr geoffrey said when dr crow got through with his story asked gwendolen something perfectly trivial said i about returning the photograph they'd given him to paint from dr crow said he could mail it to be chill and then asked gwendolen that was all said i 
jeffrey said he wanted to get it all off his mind and there wasn't anything else was there crow said no and that jeffrey could congratulate himself on a highly successful outcome there was a moment of silence then gwendolen caught her breath oh she said there was another minute of silence and then she asked didn't dr crow see he'd made a slip didn't he try to come back and say anything more you and jeffrey will be the death of me i exclaimed yes he did that is he started to say something and checked himself but how did you know he'd done that how did jeffrey know what was the slip he'd forgotten the gown said gwendolen don't you see they loaned mr jeffrey claire's own gown to pose a model in it was ever so much more valuable than the photograph and an infinitely more intimate souvenir of the girl herself he couldn't have forgotten it unless unless what i asked for she had hesitated there when she went on her voice was graver unless cliff he knew what had become of the gown unless he'd seen it so often since that he'd almost forgotten mr jeffrey had it he couldn't have forgotten it not when mr jeffrey had spoken of the photograph and asked him straight out if there weren't anything else unless he had known what had become of the gown i sat for five solid minutes trying to fit that stubborn circumstance into crow's story he didn't know the gown had been stolen he couldn't have known not if he knew no more of irene fournier than that he'd bribed her to disappear and give his patient a second chance for recovery there's something else said gwendolen thoughtfully something else that doesn't fit there are the earrings cliff he had them in his card-case he dropped one of them on the rug in the studio and came back and tried to get it those were claire's earrings how did dr crow get them that seems natural enough said i miss meredith brought them home with her very likely they were in the same box with the defaced photograph then you'll have to believe it was a ghost that mr jeffrey saw on the bridge i don't know said i that girl might have been irene but the earrings she cried that's where mr jeffrey saw them that girl was wearing them well i saw it at last not the way jeffrey did i couldn't hope for that it was even probable that gwendolen herself getting the story at second hand from me saw more than i did but i saw enough to explain our night's journey through the velvet dark enough to give that silent house of beech hill that i had never seen a strange eerie attraction i felt somehow that in that house to-night the mystery would be solved suddenly through the glass 
i saw jeffrey turn to the chauffeur with a quick order the car checked its speed we were on a brick-paved main street of a small town and the pasty surface didn't accommodate itself well to the sudden checking of our speed the car did a sweeping side slip down against the curb and stopped on the intersection of cross street half a block down i could see the lights of a lunch wagon jeffrey reached back and opened the door aren't you people getting hungry in there he said i am none of us had thought of it before but the realization of it came to us all at once i'll go down to that lunch wagon i volunteered and get a dozen red hots then we can eat them as we ride that's a good notion said jeffrey approvingly i slipped from the car and made my way up the dimly lighted cross street halfway to my destination i passed a man and a woman coming from the direction in which i was bound i had my hat low down over my eyes as they passed me then i heard him say to her they'll do until we can get a more civilized meal and i remembered having observed that he had a paper bag in his hand something about the urbane quality of his voice made me turn and look after them their appearance as they blurred into the darkness of that dimly lighted street confirmed the impression that his voice had made that they weren't any more than we inhabitants of this village he had on a long ulster and a motoring cap and she seemed to be heavily veiled my principal feeling though was one of irritation i had dr crow so strongly in my thoughts that the very last glimpse i got of that disappearing back reminded me of him i went on to the lunch wagon made my purchase and had got almost back to the car when i heard the sudden roar of a motor it wasn't our own car that was chugging away passively on just enough gas to keep it turning over but looking ahead down the road i saw the diminishing red tail-light of another car jeffrey was slouched down in his seat his cap over his eyes his head sunk forward on his chest he paid no attention to my arrival indeed it seemed as if he had fallen asleep he aroused with a start when i touched him here you are said i even then he looked at me blankly for a second then rose rather stiffly and climbed back into the interior of the car with the rest of us we may as well eat standing still said he it's lots pleasanter then i saw that gwendolen was eyeing him Curiously. End of chapter 15